It's Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find, and then the wife forgets to record the intro with me. On this week's episode, Mick read Myth, Inc. in Action by Robert Asprin, and Susan read Aaron Mangum's Latte Days. Five takes. It's Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are back here again with another episode to bring you some of the worst books we could find at our public library. But it was a, it was a rough, uh, rough little sprint to finish them. Yeah, we were finishing these books in the midst of also finishing all of our summer plans because it's back to school time, baby. It's back to school time, baby. After... A summer break two years ago, or I guess a year ago, that was about four and a half months. I thought to myself, oh, summer breaks, you know, you get recharged, you go back. And then after last year, I got a summer break of the usual. I know I'm complaining like to people who don't, It's I get a break and you don't, just deal with it. Um, but it was only two and a half months this time, and I was like, can I have that four and a half month break this time again? Yeah. Even, like, I don't get a summer break because some of us aren't that cool, but (laughs) even getting ready for students to come back to campus and, like, all of the insanity of welcome week and move in and everything that was happening on campus where I work, it was just chaos. I also uh, looked back in the calendar and we went 11 straight weekends without having a weekend off. So I'm very excited for the upcoming weekend in which I plan to do Absolutely nothing except play video games and eat snacks. Well, you plan to invite friends over, which I will maintain is still not really doing nothing, even if it's Mario Joff. Yes, but... Terrible improv. that and then be able to go to bed whenever I want to. Yeah, like right now? You want to go to bed right now instead of doing this? (sighs) Oh, she fell asleep. (sighs) Um, I am going first this time. I had myself a double billing, and of which I only read one, but I think it's fair because it's the size of a normal book. It was almost 200 pages. Okay, that's rich coming from the guy that gets me 600-page books sometimes. I'm not saying it's the longest book I've ever read. I'm just saying it counts. <clears throat> okay, fine, it counts. So the one I read is called Myth, M-Y-T-H, with periods in between, incorporated in Action. Mythink. Uh, Myth Incorporated. Oh, like Miss Incorporated. I get it. Myth Incorporated. Uh-huh. By Robert Asprin. And let me tell you, I did not have a headache. Um, but. Okay. Can I just take a second to describe the front cover of this book? This is why I thought this was going to be a good choice for Bibliophile. This is what I always think of as being kind of an old school, like 80s. Very, uh, yeah. hardcover like it's that very small size um and on wait, the front wait, wait, wait let's asmr here for a second now i'm going to tell you a little bit about why i picked this book oh you give me a boner stop <laughs> um there are two men on the cover that look like they would be quite at home in the adams family what? there's also one's a- wearing a tan suit yeah, but look at those eyebrows. He looks like Gomez. And then there's a dragon that has uh, a very surprised expression on his face. 
and he's blue. And then there's another dragon that is more a, like an iguana. Yeah, kind of like an iguana, but I think it's like a grandma iguana. She's wearing very bright lipstick and dangly earrings. And then there is a lady in what can only be described as a vavavoom outfit. She has gigantic hair that looks like shag carpet, um, and a very tight, low cut, and short yellow dress with a red belt and red thigh high boots. Uh, she is officially uh, the species trollop, and they come in pairs. A- That's a species. Yeah, trollops. Oh, no. uh, trollops always come with a brother troll. So the troll and the trollop always come together. Okay, that's actually really funny. Uh, get this. The book was really funny. Oh man! You know how, like, if we talk about the greatest uh, composers of our age—not our age, but a bygone age—and uh-huh. we're like, I want to listen to some baroque music. Yes. And not the kind that isn't fixable, just like the kind that's big R romantic. <laughs> And you're like, okay, let's think about the most clearly Baroque, most clearly romantic author or uh, uh, composer. You get people like Beethoven, uh-huh. right? That's the one that pops in your mind. Exactly. Your mind. Yep. And Mozart. Like, Mozart's not uh, Baroque, but thank you. Um, so you get Beethoven and Brahms and Tchaikovsky, and it's like these big names. But sometimes, you know, you've heard it, and it's good. No one's saying it's not good. It's a classic for a reason. It's amazing. But sometimes you got to go other places and look for other uh, composers. Okay. This is like, what if Beethoven was Terry Pratchett? Okay. And you're just like, hey, no one's saying Terry Pratchett's not like one of the best. Yeah. And amazing and good and great. But I don't want British version of this right now. I want kind of a dumb American version. And so this is kind of like an intentionally stupid, intentionally pulpy, not quite as witty, but still funny uh, Discworld type thing. Okay. That actually sounds really enjoyable. So our two, our main character, our narrator is named Guido. Uh, and his, uh, Enzio is his partner. So the two guys you said look, uh, at home in the Adams family. Yeah. Are very clearly supposed to be like 1930s mobsters. Like you got it, boss. <laughs> yeah. Mobsters. That's not great. the Adams family. And so narrating it is a choice but he sticks the landing something. That is fierce. a risk. If you because do they narrate it in like yeah, the in, accent or whatever? Yes. So at the beginning of every chapter, and there are quite a few of them, even in the small the the small of a book, is a malapropism. Like it's not an actual quote, but it's funny every single time. So the introduction is the quote: "What am I doing here?" From any recruit from any army. <laughs> And then it goes, uh, there's one I didn't get. I had to look up, so I'm not going to use that one. Um, We want to make you feel at home, said Lucretia Borgia. (laughs) And then the next one is just a little off the top, said Anne Boylan. Oh, no. And so that's when he's getting his army haircut. It's just a little off the top. So the plot is, this is a, a book, like it's a pulp series um, there is a, this is like a Discworldy kind of science slash magic, uh, but with, uh, like dimension jumping, uh, but multiple planets, but it's also like a fantasy series. Like they join the army, I'll get to it, but they all use crossbows and stuff. Okay. So like, it's not science fiction, but there's multiple planets that they're expanding to. And our main character, like I said, is Guido and he is an enforcer for the intergalactic mob. Uh, <laughs> but he has been contracted out along with his cousin, uh, uh, Enzio. Enzo. 
the harlot whose name I forgot, this whatever creature it was supposed to be, and then the troll with the harlot, as well as the bosses, capital B bosses, uh, pet dragon. And their their boss is a a, uh, wizard named Skeeve the Great. And so it's all just, it knows how stupid it is. It's all very tongue-in-cheek. This is like the book equivalent of semi-professional wrestling. Like, we're not here to have a great, or uh, to, to be, in, we're here to be impressed, but from kind of the tongue-in-cheekedness. Um, I wrote page 8-9. Uh, so this is the setup. This is within the introduction. Now, all of those of you what have been following these books all along may be wondering just why it is that Nunzio and me is signing on to Patisilum's army instead of performing our new normal body duties of body bodyguarding the boss, who you probably think of as the great Skeeve, as he is not employed by him, and therefore have no reason to think of him as the boss. Now, this is very annoying in my like in a little bit, but it sticks the landing and it does the entire thing like this, and it's quite funny. I feel like if that's done well, you get to the point where you're just sort of naturally reading like that in your head, and it is fun. And so it's, I'm, it, I'm I'm impressed he did it well because that's a risk. Yeah, it is. It is very good because lately there's been a lot of talk on Twitter about like the cop speak, like. Our officers got into a kinetic altercation with the suspect whilst he tried to flee from. Yeah. And it's like, bud, you shot a guy. And so this is kind of funny because it's the mobster version of that was like, oh, he was he was too busy interfering or I can't do it off the top of my head, but it's it's quite good. Uh, it's also quite good because it is very meta. Like the characters explain the book that you're in. It's kind of like a comic book where it appears in the bottom where it's like, last scene in issue 42. <laughs> uh, but it also sticks that landing. This confusion, it continues, is understandable as this book is happening right after the book before the last one, parenthetical Myth Inc. Link. And at the same time as the one before this, Myth Nomers and Imperfections. Add to, add to that the fact that this is one of the Myth Inc. volumes and is therefore being told from my viewpoint instead of the bosses, and it becomes clear why your eyes is perhaps crossed at this point in the narrative. <laughs> The only consoling I can offer you is that you's, if you think if you think that my life whilst working for the boss is confusing to read, you should try living it for a month or five. All uh, right. So it's That's pretty good. That's cute. That's funny. And so this is a really good example of the narration outside of the meta thing. It is indeed a privilege to be included in a war type council. Actually, I'm going to have you do it in your Long Island voice, please. You're better at New York than me. Oh, God. Just chapter one there for me. I don't have time to get into this. Coffee. It is indeed a privilege to be included in a war-type council, regardless of what war it is or who in specific is also a tenant. Only the very elite are involved, which is to say, those will be furthest from the actual fightin', as such gatherings are usually concerned with which portions of one forces are expendable, and exactly how and when they are to be expended. So, it's pretty good, like, it's a good idea if yous can get your hands on it. Um, And, I, like, once again, I can kind of hear how that would be annoying and, like, you know, jerk off motion like, oh, how cute. But it was funny. It worked. It's one of those things that's such a big risk because if it's not done well, it's going to be intolerable. Like if you if you went for it and didn't pull it off, it's going to ruin the whole book. But if you can pull it off... Yeah. Is is gonna be good. So I'm I'm glad for you that they did pull it off. I am too. Uh, so he goes. He gets into the army because this this empire, which is sort of pitched as like uh, from the Witcher series, um, Nilfgaard, like it's just growing and growing and growing, and no one can seem to stop it. But everybody doesn't really mind because once the empire gets there, taxes actually become lower, <laughs> and they've convinced 
their people, like, the more we conquer, the lower your taxes are. Because think about it. There's more people in the empire, so lower taxes. <laughs> and the, even the mob's like, that's not how that works. Like, we know how to run numbers. That's not how that works. Like, we, the Skeev the Great, for some reason, wants to stop this from expanding. And so he sends his crew to uh, try to uh, break it up in different ways. And so Nunzio and Guido are going to join the army and, like, kind of real mobsters or uh, Russian revolutionaries or what have you, try to disrupt it from the inside. Yeah, they're going to infiltrate. Yeah, so, like, it actually mentions that a time or two, these guys have gotten hired at a factory, worked there for two months, and unionized the place, (laughs) and then got on strike for bribes and whatnot. So it's, like, it's both funny and kind of obvious about how the mob actually works. But now they're in the army. These, like, well-dressed, sharply-dressed, like, uh, mobsters have to go in the army. The haircut turned about turned out even more ghastly than I had feared in my worst nightmare-type dreams. I would be tempted to lay in wait and inflict a little instructional-type revenge upon the individual what laid said haircut on me, but it would probably be, do no good as he was being obviously brain-damaged at birth and can't help being like he is. Instead, I should be thankful that society has found a place for a person what has only learned one style of haircut where he can serve a useful purpose. <laughs> Further, I suppose it is logical that that place is in the army, where his quote-unquote customers have no choice but to put up with whatever haircut they are given. My only puzzlement is where they managed to find an entire room of mental deficients who have all only learned the same haircut. <laughs> um, it has a good drill sergeant in it, and it's the mobster is kind of like, ooh, good technique when the mobster is scaring people into subservience. <laughs> um, and so the mobsters are going to behave themselves because they find out that the only way they can graduate basic training is if everybody passes. Like you're inserted in a uh, in a in a cohort? cohort and you can only go on. So they need to actually take, and they're all named after bugs, which is also <laughs> dumb but funny. There's the Fly Brothers, F-I-L-E. One of them is named Shoe Fly and one of them is named uh, Pop Fly or something like that. Then one gets nicknamed Spider, one gets nicknamed June Bug, and it's a, it's a whole thing. And so they have to get the bugs out of basic training, and so they take on a lot of the training outside of normal hours to, like, let's get this going so we can go infiltrate. And throughout this short book, they keep getting promoted because they keep doing it so good that they're like, you know what we need is good leadership. And they're, they're trying. Oh, no. He's like, I got into the mob so I could follow orders not to... Not to become in charge. Yeah. Yeah. There is a lot of weirdly, like, solidarity. He talks about the lectures of the army versus the lectures of college, where college people think that, or college professors think that how lucky you are to be able to attend one of my talks. (laughs) And I will just bequeath unto you the most boring of stuff just to prove you actually want to be here. Yeah. The army, in direct contrast, started with the basic assumption that recruits would be totally ignorant and couldn't care less about the subject at hand, unless it was made interesting enough to hold their predictably short attention, often by graphically demonstrating at a personal level how vital said subject was to the continued functioning of their bodies <laughs> out of curiosity or out of courtesy to those of you who are currently invested in large chunks of you or your kids time in college i will refrain on, uh, refrain on commenting on which system i think is better for passing information much less the actual life value of that information which is being passed and confine myself to the simple observation that instruction in the army is neither mindless nor lacking in value what's more they pay you while you're learning Of course, things might be quite a bit different if corporations other than fast food franchisers took it upon themselves to take an active hand in the training of their employees, but that is a whole nother subject. (laughs) 
so it's a really weird kind of mix of solidarity, but also making fun of the army. This is an early 90s book, so we are pre-9-11, yeah. so we can actually make fun of the army without having to qualify it with some troops bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just goes throughout the the whole thing. It's uh, as we go... Um, they keep getting promoted higher and higher despite trying to ruin stuff. They try to start a fight and they get promoted for defending the army's honor. Uh-huh. They try to mess up a corn, like a quarters, uh, quartermaster thing, a supply depot, but they accidentally do better than they were supposed to. Like for instance, uh, they reorganize the supply depot so that they can pick which ones to actually get wrong. Cause they don't want to get too many wrong or else it's obvious they're trying to do it wrong. So they reorganize it, making it more efficient. And then every time they try to send out something bad, they they accidentally get it right. Like they sent out summer uniforms to this winter campaign, but the paperwork had taken so long by, that by the time they actually sent it back out, it was summer. <laughs> then when it comes when one camp requisitioned toilet paper, they sent a bunch of propaganda leaflets so that they would be wiping their ass <laughs> with the propaganda leaflets. But then they talked to like the actual guy on staff and he's like, yeah, that camp was suffering from a tremendous morale problem. And look at the pamphlets you sent out. And on the front of it is, like, their hot queen. Oh, like, no. In a, in a low-cut dress, like, ooh, aren't you so glad you're on my side? And so it's implied that all the all the people are jerking off to the propaganda oh, pamphlets. Oh, God. Yeah, so pretty funny in the ways that they do it instead of just, like, punching the wrong guy or whatever. The, the one best part, I think the best line in the whole thing, is that he doesn't want to get promoted. He keeps trying to say, I'm okay with being anonymous. I'm okay with being a henchman. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm good at it. And he says, if I wanted to be a well-known crook, I would have gone into politics. <laughs> that was a pretty good little one sign line and oh, uh, like a that. summation just enough because like well-known that. crooks are not especially good. Um, they're trying to start a fight in a bar by, uh, messing with the local women and trying to get like the citizens to realize they don't want the army there. And so their plan is that the, the harlot or the trollop, excuse me, is, has like the m- magical mirror that can change mm-hmm. what she is. And so she's going to seduce one of their squad mates. They're going to go back to the room and then the big guys are going to crack open the door and they're going to start a fight where she's like, oh, he put his paws on me. And the army says, oh, you're just trying to rob us or whatever. Therefore, starting a, a fissure. Uh, and so, I mean that you yourself said that our commander, this is cousin talking, said that it was okay if we messed with bimbos, but to leave the respectable women alone. Yet now I'm trying to put together a specific course of action and you're acting like this is a brand new concept to you. And he says, this big dumb galoot says, it just seems to me that this is a revolting form of class bias and bigotry, I says, assuming that a woman's (laughs) respectability is a matter of her financial station and education. Wouldn't be better if it was the other way around? I mean, if a woman's respectability determined where she stood in the financial order instead of the other way around? There are two problems with that, Nunzio says. First of all, the same unfair standard is applied to men as well, meaning it holds for everyone, not just women. Them, what is rich and educated is always deemed more respectful, if for no other reason than they wield more power and pay more taxes. All right. Okay. Social commentary. That, well, they don't pay more taxes. That's true, I says, not unthoughtful. Like, the second problem is that it's completely off the subject of what we was discussing. <laughs> So all in all, he, he just keeps going through this thing and it keeps being fun and it keeps being good. And so I didn't read the second one despite not really being that scared of it because what else was I going to say? They're just kind of funny and goofy and kind of galoots. Well, genuine meatheads. You know what? All in all, I'm glad that the last week of summer and the first week of school, you got to read a good book. Unlike. Unlike me. <laughs> 
Mick, can you wait? I want to. I want to offer something up to our readers. Let's have a contest. The okay. first bibliophile contest. Okay. Okay. Responding to the official bibliophile Twitter account. Let's get some engagement. Let's get some clicks, baby. I need you to tell me what the hell reference this is supposed to be, because you know every one of these books creates a title with like a reference. Yes. Like. Uh, Excuse me while I kill this guy. Kill this guy. Or the... Paradise uh, crazy, by the Rifle Sights. Ooh, Crazy Stupid Bromance. Yeah. Like crazy Stupid Romance or something like that. This one is called Latte Days. L-A-T-T-E space D-A-Z-E. It has to, like... It I'm has sure to be it's something. referencing something. I cannot for the life of me figure out what it's referencing. I'm, I'd like to think I'm pretty good at lateral thinking. I cannot find my way into latte days. Is it like he will guide us, he knows the days or whatever? That he's numbered our days? Maybe, but that still doesn't make any sense. For a second, I thought maybe they were going to be Latter-day Saints. Because it is a Jesus book. And I was like, is that a, a pun on, on latter days? It's not. They're not. No, latter days is just the little community get together where we celebrate elevated <laughs> climbable things. <laughs> Come on down for latter days. Parallel parking for everyone. Anyway, you Popcorn got me for the kids. a book about a woman who works at a coffee shop. That's new. And last time I got you a book about a woman who works at a coffee shop. And last time the coffee shop was called Toe Beans. And this time the coffee shop is called Cool Beans. Toe Beans is better. Don't know which one is worse. Um, I'm gonna. I've got a. I've got some things to say about this book. That's good. We've got like 40 minutes to go. <laughs> so as always, when we do a book that has religious themes, I'm gonna put our usual bibliophile disclaimer. This is not anything against any particular faith. This is about some bullshit that this author wrote in this book. So. The overall story, this is a book about a young woman. She's 25. Her name is Maya. And she is going through a lot of change right now. Her uh, best friend, her roommate gets engaged. um, And then she's dealing with the prospect of her best friend and roommate moving out. She's going to have to find her own place and live on her own. Her boyfriend, who started out as a really close friend and coworker, is after many years leaving Cool Beans and going to a different job. <gasps> She's going to have to train a new coworker. That is not Cool Beans. I know, it's not Cool Beans. So. And then her roommate's mom moves in with them for a while to help with the wedding planning. And her brother and his wife, who she doesn't dislike but also doesn't particularly like, announce that they're having their first baby. And so there's just a lot of things changing am, in Maya's I, life. I've missed out on half of them that you're saying because I was trying to process the last one. And also trying not to immediately interrupt you to go, cool, cool beans, beans, cool beans. <laughs> cool beans. 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 So, 
Cool beans? Yeah. Cool beans. Anyway, um, what was the one that you were still processing? All of the details. There's so many people in this book. I know. There's so many people in this book. So that's the plot of the book. Those are the things that are happening. I'm not really going to go too much into the plot from there. I am going to say, though, that, like, overall, this is a book about a young woman going through a lot of changes, and her faith helps her through those changes. And that is great. All right. My name is Ben May Dickinson. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. Oh, there's more? There's more. So, like, that's great. Life comes with a lot of changes. That can be a little overwhelming sometimes. And if your faith is what gets you through that, wonderful. More power to you. What I did not like about this book is that it had some kind of toxic stuff about relationships between men and women, about women in general, about women's bodies, that just not only was really irritating to me because it goes against a lot of my beliefs about a lot of things, but also felt so out of place. The whole time I kept flipping back to see when this book was written because it felt like something from the late 90s. Like a lot of the sort of thought processes in here felt super 1996. Yeah. And it was written in 2010. So like it's not only that you they shot themselves in the foot, but you're also like, where did you even get the gun? Exactly. Like, why did you even have that? Like, I know some people who would identify as very religious that do not have these sort of beliefs about women's bodies and body image icky. and relationships and stuff. Oh. It was just super weird. Um, first, I'm going to give you just a little bit of the an margins. idea of oh my God. what kind of a writing style we're working with here. It's your favorite kind of oh, writing God. style. Snarky. Okay. So, Travis Clayton is Jen's boyfriend, and actually an old high school flame of mine. But that's a long story involving ice cream, tears, lies, ice cream, skipping Bible reading, guilt, ice cream, and eventually skipping Bible of prayer, reading, lots of hugs, and again, ice cream. Oh gosh! So that's kind of what we are. But working who began Jericho? So Jen is going out on a date with Travis, leaving Maya alone, and Maya says, Lovely, an evening alone with just my pajama pants, a good-looking man who doesn't care, a.k.a. Mr. Darcy, and a batch of chocolate chip cookies. So she's very into Mr. Darcy, your favorite fictional character. My worst archetype! So this is where we start to get into some of the weird relationship stuff. So we are talking about um, is this the difference between Maya's relationship with Travis, who's now dating Jen, and Maya's relationship with her current boyfriend, whose name is Jack. Uh -huh. Is this what now? Is this the type of book where a dad is left to babysit his kids? Um, Maybe not literally, but sort of vibe-wise? It's definitely that kind of vibe. Mm. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Okay. Um, when I, there, let's, we should probably unpack that a little bit just in case. Oh, I hate it when people say that dads are babysitting their own kids because it's not babysitting when it's your own child. That's just parenting, bud. <laughs> you're not babysitting. You're just being a dad. I don't think you need to talk to the dad about the fact that it's not babysitting. Yeah. You need to talk to the mom's friends. Yeah. yeah. Not, or in, in my case, some of my male friends. Like, ah. is, is not babysitting if Mick is going to have the baby by himself for the weekend. He's just going to be parenting yeah. and, and being a dad. And struggling to find out how to feed it. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm not going to leave for a weekend for a while. 
Okay, uh, Maya says, when I dated Travis, it was actual dating. I didn't see him until at night. I dressed up in my best skirt. I was on my best behavior, and I got butterflies in my stomach every time I looked at him. And Jack, I'm usually in jeans so I can wear comfy shoes after a long day standing behind the coffee counter. I'm never on my best behavior because he would totally call me on it. And usually my stomach hurts after we've gone out because I've been laughing so hard. It's different and weird. And that's marketed like it's a bad thing. Well, she's wearing jeans like a man. Exactly. And she's not on her best behavior, which a woman should always be. I do enjoy the idea that she only sees him during or after work because I assume they don't live together. Of course not. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that. Don't you worry. Um, Another thing when not Jen... everyone has to move in. I'm sorry, but like... You know what I mean. Yeah. Jen, when she talks about Travis, who is her boyfriend, and spoiler alert, becomes her fiance, (gasps) kind of hates him, it seems like. She's always making fun of him and calling him nerdy. And it's that kind of thing where it's like, you, it's like, oh, well, that's what people do. They talk about their partner and make fun of them to their friends. And I'm like... But not in a mean-spirited way. Like, I will absolutely tell our friends about a silly thing that you did. Yeah. But but I will do that in front of you. (laughs) Yeah. But then you remember about how I really supported you in your struggle with Jamie Taco stealing your lines in that play. And then you can't help but remember how important our relationship is to you. I know. So I just can't. I can't make fun of you anymore. And I have to tell everyone, no, I shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have said what I said. She helped me with Jamie Taco. Um, I was telling, I was saying before about how they don't live together. Not only do they not live together, this is now Maya and Jack. Maya is 25 years old and she and Jack have been together for four months and they have never kissed. And it's like, I get if, if waiting until marriage is an important thing to you. There are a lot of sex. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons why people might wait to have sex with their partner until they're married. But like physical chemistry is still important. You you should probably smooch. What if it's terrible? What if it's not a good smooch? What if you don't feel the sparks of electricity as your lips meet? Oh, we'll come back to that. Don't you worry. The other couple, Jen and Travis, are making out um, on the front porch the night they get engaged. And Maya Good. warns them to keep things pure and not go too far. Like, just let them smooch. They just got engaged. Calm down. The diamond must not have been that good if it's only smooching. You know what I mean? Fellas, ladies be out here. Oh, jeez. And it was apparently a very nice diamond. Thank you. Oh. Thank well, you that's why she much. said yes. But. Okay. Um, then her new, the new coworker, his name is Ethan. He's a college kid. So he's a couple years younger than Maya. He asks her, he was like, oh, like I, you mentioned that you also run. Like, do you want to go for a run together after work sometime? And... Maya says, okay, this is awkward. I don't think Jack would take too kindly to me jogging with the cute and very fit Ethan, regardless of the fact that Jack is spending all of his time with zoo animals instead of me. His new job is at the zoo. Ethan, I say, turning on the computer that doubles as a cash register. Why did we need to include that detail? Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot that it was not a literal mechanical cash register. I'm not too sure Jack would like that. Why not? We're dating. I know. You told me. I just don't understand why he can't. Why he can be going doing orientations all night long and you can't go jogging with a friend. 
Ethan isn't a Christian, so maybe he doesn't get the basic respect associated with dating. And I'm like, screw off. Just because someone does not share your religious beliefs does not mean they understand, they don't understand morals. And I get that, like, sure, if you didn't want, like, if it made you uncomfortable because you are seeing someone else and you felt like it was not right or it made you uncomfortable to go jogging one-on-one with another guy, that's fine. But don't get, like super moralistic and preaching like you would never have asked that question if you were a christian this is very mike pence calling his wife mother it is or refusing to have lunch with anyone or whatever it was any women he can have lunch with the boys the boys um we hear the message a lot that guys need to be the strong one in a relationship and girls should not be the one to take the initiative You don't want to, isn't that right, Mick? You don't want a woman who takes initiative at all? Yes, honey. (laughs) Um, Okay, let's see. Sorry. Let's see how many times Susan can hit the microphone with her notebook. So many times. (laughs) Okay. I do like the idea of Mike Pence going out with the boys because he'd probably be like, hello, chums. Can I interest you in a beer? Okay, this part cracked me up because we are... 29 years old and about to have our first baby. What? And Jen is talking to Maya and she's like, Travis and I want to wait at least four years after getting married before we even think about kids. And Maya is horrified by this. She says, ugh, why? So you can be 30 and trying to potty train, almost 50 at graduation, nearly crippled as grandparents? And I'm like, whoa, buddy. Calm down a little bit. Yeah. Yikes. (laughs) Super yikes. If you're 36 and a grandmother, then you're basically having the best time of your life. Did you know that? Just pop out kids as soon as you're physically able to. Yeah. I mean, that is really what life is all about, I think. When you think about it. When you think about it, it, it's early. There's also a lot of weirdness about sex in general, which what? does not surprise me coming from this book. Um, but Does she they ever don't... say the word vagina? Oh, God, no. So they don't, Maya and Jen, who were supposedly best friends, um, have been for years, they're roommates, they are, they like have never spoken about sex before. Um, Maya is really uncomfortable, even like if Jen even hints about her wedding night maya is the maid of honor and she was like it's my obligation to throw her a lingerie shower but i feel so uncomfortable because i don't want to think about them on their wedding night well fair that's fair no no no. (laughs) that part's fair i also was uncomfortable about lingerie showers but the fact that they're she says specifically we are closer than sisters sure but there are still some things you shouldn't discuss with sisters to which i will say to loyal listener my own sister michelle um, not really. I feel like she's the person that if I'm like, I have an awkward question, she's usually the first person I text. And Aww. it just was such a weird, it's just like, you shouldn't discuss that even with sisters. And I feel like it feeds into this weird purity culture where like no one even discusses the concept of sex. Yeah. And I'm it surprised her kind of not, freaks me out. I'm surprised her name's not Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of awkward questions you ask your sister? Like. So, like, Singapore, is that, like, a city-state or, like, an autonomous region in Indonesia? No, it's kind of like, I found a lump. Is this normal? Yeah, <laughs> really body I stuff. I really wish you wouldn't call me a lump to your sister. 
Okay, so to illustrate that point, um, that I'm a she is talking to Maya, is talking to Ethan, her coworker, and he realizes that she and Jack don't live together. And then he says, wait, so you mean you guys have never, he says, his eyebrows as far up as his forehead will allow. I shake my head and pull out the beans for the dark roast. Wow, Ethan says, is this the Christianity stuff again? Well, that and common sense. Um, She says, okay, apparently nothing is off limits in this conversation. I look over at him. It's a command, sure. Is it? Um, But I also don't have to worry about getting pregnant or getting some kind of weird disease More than that, though, my life is way less complicated. And should we get married, our wedding night is going to be amazing. So (laughs) you're dating a man for several months with the understanding that he might have an STD? Yeah, I feel like um, there are a lot of other ways to feel confident that you're not going to get an STI. Like, you know, getting tested or using protection oh, or God, having no. or having a conversation with your partner <laughs> that last one seems pretty good too <laughs> you know how sex make well i guess it does make some relationships more complicated but you know how everything is just really easy in life when you're constantly on edge yeah and you know how if you put all of this pressure on your wedding night and then you're going to do something for the very first time and you've put a ton of pressure on it. It's going to be incredible and great. Nothing makes boners happen like appointments. <laughs> Nothing makes sex better than pressure. A lot of emotional pressure. Oh, emotional pressure. I, okay. that, I, that's why okay. I clarified emotional pressure. I was going to say, well. Um, Maya also says, and you, know, stilettos. you know how in romance books, the guy <laughs> always gives the girl a week's notice on dates? No. So she has time to buy a new outfit, get her hair cut, and paint her toenails? Yeah, Jack doesn't believe in advance notice. I barely have time for a shower after work before a date, and it's been five months since I got a haircut. I guess some guys are good with the advanced stuff, and some guys aren't. Like, why do we need this type of narrative? How is this both extraordinarily acronistic religion-wise, but also extraordinarily capitalist? It's just Ladies, super weird. New skirts every date. No pedicure every time. Um, some other just like I think all the characters actually hate each other. Her boyfriend, who also well, spoiler alert, up. Jack, winds up becoming her fiance at the end. Uh, this is a direct quote from the beginning of the book. Jack has always thought that my brain activity is similar to that of a squirrel. Fast, frenzied, and pointless. <laughs> Yeesh. A fine foundation. I wonder why two people who don't really actually seem to get along would be willing to get married. What's missing Mm, from that relationship? The other super 90s thing about this is that the perfect body is continuously described as a tiny waist, big boobs, and no butt. I feel like that's a very 90s ideal body type that we have here. Um, Some additional (laughs) not great... Give me that pancake ass. (laughs) Some additional not great gender relations kind of stuff. Uh, Their social circle revolves. Like their wedding night? Yeah. um, Their social circle, Maya and Jen, revolves almost entirely around church, which I feel like is a a very typical thing. The best thing for church to be is a social circle. Absolutely. And like, that is a good way to find a community when you are 25, because how do you make friends after college? Who knows? Please, God, tell me. (laughs) Um, 
But so we, we do spend a lot of time in the book at Bible study and at church, and we get to know some of their circle from Bible study. Um, let's see. Each week, a couple of people are supposed to bring in snacks. We used to have the boys help too, but there were a few weeks in a row where we had random stuff like health food cookies that expired two weeks before and a half-eaten box of Rice Krispies without milk or bowls. Ever since then, the girls have split up the calendar and resigned themselves to taking care of the men. General complaint. Obvious. Men know how to buy groceries. Secondary complaint. More specific. Are you dipping your Rice Krispies in milk? Well, no, like Rice Krispies, like the cereal. Oh. I read it in a sense at snack time, Rice Krispie bars. Well, she said bowls and milk, so I'm assuming it's just the cereal. Uh, all right. Yeah. Um. Still, even worse then, because it's like, I know what this bring for snacks. I bring cereal. Like, I feel like if you were going to make the point that, like, the girls always bring really nice homemade stuff and the guys just pick up store-bought. That's fine. Sure, but also that's fine, but, like... Apparently, men are incapable of grocery shopping. I know how to buy Scotcheroos, okay? That's <laughs> like, I, I don't bake, but I can buy Scotcheroos. For sure. Um, it is unsurprisingly very slut shamey. There's a group what? of teenagers, like 15 or 16 year olds, that come into the out. coffee shop and get their like smoothies or frappuccinos or whatever. Um, and Maya specifically references one of them as being the slutty, look at me kind of girl. Um, like, this is a child, so calm down. Jen chastises Maya about never dressing in feminine clothing in front of Jack. Um, we have a super 90s approach to, like, health and dieting and body image. Maya eats just junk food all the time and then will, like, basically super restrict and not eat anything um, if she's trying to fit into a particular dress, which is not really how that works. And then Jen is the opposite where like she exclusively eats only super healthy organic food and will never like even make an exception to eat one Oreo. Well, like, Susan, you know, it's supposed to, in, it's, it's really important to introduce flaws mm-hmm. into your main character, like eating stuff. Yeah, I know. Eating is a terrible flaw. So yeah, without those flaws, she'd just be perfect if she didn't have to eat anything and was just naturally, you know, like skinny and stuff. I know, perfect, yeah. So like, how does she overcome this drive to eat things? That's like the central core concept. Mm, We really don't get there, but maybe in the next book. One (laughs) character that uh, has some great stuff going for her, she's praised for her organizational skills. She's helping to plan a bunch of things through... The Bible study, she's coordinating a lot of the social events, um, which I have experienced as an event planner. I do a lot of logistics for my job. So those are skills that I can really appreciate. But do you know how we praise this woman for that? She's described as being someone who would make a great pastor's wife. (laughs) So that bummed me out. Said pastor says, when my... Especially because Protestantism accepts women as pastors. I know. Like, oh, this woman is a great event planner, has a mind for logistics. Like, there are probably some other roles that we could put her in in this large organization. I do love that even, like, a wedding planner is still kind of gendered, but at least she's the person in that job description. Yeah, and is in charge, yeah. like, has agency. No, you'd make a good pastor's wife. Yikes. Um, they make a huge deal about how much Maya's sister-in-law, how much weight Maya's sister-in-law is gaining during her pregnancy, which is a sensitive topic for me right now. I was going to say, they're like, bad timing. 
they're making fun of her for like having weird cravings or like food or smell aversions and she's putting on a ton of weight and they're like we barely recognize her and all of this stuff and already talking about at like five months asking her how she's gonna bounce back from her pregnancy and what her plan is to lose the weight and as a person who is currently pregnant i would like to throw the words bounce back directly into the sun um so it's just like just all of these really gross things about women's bodies i'm sorry i guess it's just a man and i wasn't taught this in health class what possibly could a woman need with like extra calories when she's pregnant yeah, I mean, it really doesn't make sense. You should only gain weight in your belly. It should be a belly-only pregnancy. Yeah. You shouldn't gain weight anywhere else. It's like after you poop the baby out or whatever. Then your stomach should be completely flat it's again. It's like back to the weight you were. It exactly. It should just be baby weight. Your your body should um, undergo nine months of extreme growth and change and hormonal changes and then immediately go back to the way that it used to look before. Because that's the only right way. It's the only right way. Because assumedly... You were looked fine before, and now you don't. Yeah, so you have to get back to looking fine again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, obviously, we're, we're joking and joshing, because pregnant ladies. Your body yeah. made a human. It shouldn't oh. go back to the way it was before. I just it mean, should be different. I just mean your boobs are really big, and I like it. Um, that's also true. But yeah, no, like your that's body changes. True. It should change. That is a good thing. Like, you're, you're making a second body. Imagine how much you had to eat in puberty to only make one. I know. To add on to one. Ugh. Um, so, yeah, that that's, I feel like, a good good Off-ramp. collection of examples of weird, weird feelings about women and relationships and bodies that this book has. It just, like, it felt so 90s. Yeah. And it was astounding to me. To remind myself that this book was written in 2010. Like, I know that we have still a long way to go in terms of those types of things, but we've also come a long way, I think, from making fun of people for gaining weight and praising women that their organizational skills are only valuable if they marry a man in a certain career path. Like, it is just weird. I almost feel, and I know that this is going to be kind of a hot take, I almost feel like the the, uh, simultaneous drive for women to be chaste and pure, but also uh, attractive to their husbands, but also uh, demure, but also sort of strong in the family way, almost puts women in an unwinnable situation yeah, that seems almost designed at a structural level. And it's it's also kind of weird how like the pastor's wife thing was mm. also there. It's like it's like this structural level it was dominated for thousands of years by men. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how it connects. I don't get it. You know, the book Some things ends, are just a mystery. Some things are just a mystery. The book ends with Jen marrying Travis, who she does not seem to actually like that much. Well, they want to fuck. Let's just For talk, sure. Yeah. And also ends with Maya getting engaged to Jack, who she does not seem to like that much oh, and I, has a lot of uncertainties about their relationship. Sorry, that was what I was originally talking about. They want I mean, fuck. both of them. Neither of them had sex before marriage. Um, and at the very end, after getting engaged... Jack and Maya finally kiss. Well, then now it's time. Now it's time for kissing. And how was it? 
not really um, addressed at all, not really described at all, probably because it doesn't matter if Maya thought that the kiss was good or not because her satisfaction is not important. I thought you just meant that the readers would get horny. Oh, yeah, that too, probably. No, we can't have that. Not in latte days. What the fuck? Again, if you have an idea of what that title is referencing or what it's supposed to be a pun or a playoff of, you can find us at Bibliophile. Yeah. Um, also, I want to bring this up. You've probably heard it in the intro, but I'm just now seeing it for the first time. Our author's name, just look at it and say it. Okay. It's Mangum? Mangum? Yeah. But I always kept reading it's it Magnum. as Magnum. Aaron Magnum. And it's a really, and also Aaron is spelled with a Y and two N's. It's also, it's really weird because I can't decide what's a pornier name. Magnum? Aaron Magnum? Or Aaron Mangum? Yeah. But neither, she writes, I think Magnum is more obvious. Uh, as opposed to man gum? Some sticky substance? Gross, I hate that. Cum? Ew! Jizz up! I don't want this. I don't want this all over my latte days. I, I hope you don't get it on your latte or else we've got things to talk about. <laughs> anyway, um... Semen. What? Semen. No, thank you. Well, that's how we got into this situation in the first place. That's why we're doing this podcast? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Susan J. Uh, you can find Mick on Twitter at Dickie Ma. Yeah, you usually spell your username, so I was waiting oh, for that Oh, S second. with three U's, S-A-N-J. And then that is uh, Bibliophile on Twitter, like we said. Our band is, our intro music is Babe of the Night by the Band Elixir off of their album Ramp It. Have a good night. Tony. Bye, Tony. Hey, Hey. I'm Catholic.